0: So week six, tear it down. Last week God raised up a judge Gideon. The people were in rebellion and the oppression that they were handed over to, we saw, was so bad that it didn't take the people of Israel 40 years to deal with oppression. This time, after seven years of it, they were like, We done. These people were due, were reduced to starvation. Their land was stripped bare, and they were reduced to feeling fleeing from their homes and hiding in mountains and caves and and, and it says strongholds. The, the, the enemy, the Midianites were so oppressive that they literally could not live in their own homes. They, they could not till their own land. They couldn't work because it said the enemy would come in and look like swarms of locusts, thousands of camels. Uh, uh, they, they could not count the number of people in the enemy army that would come and take everything and devour everything they sowed into. So this was extremely oppression and God finds Gideon one day uh, it says he was threshing uh, wheat in a secret place Um, and he wasn't complaining about it um, in this secret place, he couldn't use the modern technology to separate the wheat, separate the, uh, the, the, the grain from the wheat. He was having to do it in a secret place under a wine press, uh, hidden so that no one would see him. And he wasn't complaining about it. He was what we talked about giving an acceptable offering to God. He was working diligently no matter what the circumstance was. And I want to read a few verses to kind of uh, remind us where we're at in Judges chapter 6. Starting in verses 14 through 16. It says, the Lord turned to him, this is Gideon, and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. In other words, he is the weakest of the weak of the weak. He is the weakest of the weakest of the weak of the people being oppressed the most. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. That's a comforting statement. No matter how small you think you are or how weak you think you are, no matter how much the circumstances come against you, God says, be comforted in this, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Not only will I be with you, but I will make the battle seem like it's nothing. This is going to be so easy if you would just depend on me. So God calls Gideon to rescue Israel using the weakest of the weak, going with the strength that Gideon did have. And if you remember, the strength that he did have was he was trusting in God. He had a knowledge of God. He was even questioning, was this God speaking to him, testifying of the knowledge of what he had that God did? He said, well, God, you know, didn't you rescue us out of Egypt and do all these miracles? Where have you been at, God? He was saying, God, I know who you are. I know what you did, but it doesn't seem like you're working right now. And God had to remind him. Is this making sense? Is this, y'all remember what's going on? So through this conversation with God... Uh, making sure it was God, questioning God, doubting God. At the very end, he realized, oh, my gosh, this is God. I'm doomed. And God's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to harm you, I'm not going to kill you, you're not going to die, I am going to use you. And in verse 24, it says this, and Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And that's where we left off. The altar remains in Oprah in the land of the clan of Abizier to this day. After questioning God and bringing this acceptable offering to God, Gideon has absolute peace after a whole chapter and conversation of doubt, walking forward in whatever God was calling him to do. Wouldn't you love to have that absolute peace so that you can walk forward in whatever God's calling you to do? not letting the circumstances make you wander or wave or make you question yourself or make you tiptoe into it, but I have so much peace that I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. Gideon has absolute peace in walking forward in whatever God was calling him to do because God always answers us when we call out to him. We've been talking about that over and over and over. He says, when you cry out to me, I will answer you. And I want to point this out. Why was God giving him peace? To be properly prepared for the task at hand. It wasn't just something God says, here you go, just because you're good and faithful. But Gideon needed something in order to fulfill a task. Gideon needed to carry something with him in order to walk in his assignment. And I think we need to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is not just for you to feel the fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is also a preparation for you walking into the next step of your life. Because remember, getting in is doubting, He's fearful. His identity is I'm weak and I'm without and I can't. And God says, not only do I need to remind you of your identity, but let me deposit a supernatural amount of peace into you so that that's going to be the thing you carry with you into walking into an enemy territory that has made you fearful for the last seven years. So Gideon has this peace. And I think we need to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is just as much for preparation. Because we, we, if we read Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25, we'll, we'll be reminded about the fruit of the Spirit. Look at this. It says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, which is what Gideon got. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. He says, this is the fruit of when you obey and walk and be led into what the Holy Spirit is asking. So we know the fruit. It's the evidence that we are living a life apart from our sinful nature and walking into a life that is called the kingdom of God. I share Wednesday night at Equipping Night a definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is walking in a life in the presence of the Father with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, made possible by the blood of Jesus. The kingdom of God is not this idea of let me get heaven. It's not this hierarchy of let me reign on this earth with gold and silver and all these man-made things. It is simply walking in a life that shows what you hear you understood because you took what you heard and you applied it. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, they said, why do you speak to them in parables, but you teach to us about kingdom? And basically when it came down to it, Jesus says, because they hear, they get encouraged, but they go back into their lifestyle. He says those people that come in here and they don't apply, the people that know the truth but do nothing with it, they cannot inherit the life of the kingdom of God. They won't get it. And there are so many of us in the church who do our life outside of the kingdom and God's like, that's why you, go, you are dependent upon nursery rhymes and parables and sermon illustrations because you can't get it straight. And that, that speaks a lot to me. I was a youth pastor for years and I did the sermon illustrations. I tried to. There was one time I wanted to, to talk about compromise so I had a police officer come in and tase me in front of my students. So don't be talking about how I'm a chicken about heights. Get tased, punk. I mean, I I was all about that. But at some point, you've got to move from the illustration and just receive what the Lord says. So we know the fruit of the Spirit, peace, self-control, all these kind of things. But look at what it says in verses 24 through 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That means you give up the desires and you leave them. You don't go back and take out the nail from the cross. You leave it there. Now look at verse 25 because this is what I want to get to. My iPad keeps taking my sermon away. Since we are living by the Spirit, since we are living by the Spirit, what is the evidence of living by the Spirit? The fruit. Since you're exhibiting, Gideon, peace. Since you're experience, child of God, goodness. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Because you're getting a fruit Of my, uh, of the gentleness and self control and the patience and the kindness, you're getting this fruit, you're getting peace. So now that you have it, Follow the Holy Spirit into wherever He's going to lead you because you're going to need that fruit to sustain this place. Because let me just set the record straight. The place where God leads you is not going to be always into a peaceful place. It could be into a messed up, chaotic, kingless kingdom fight battle enemy territory and in that territory there will not be peace so carry the fruit that I've given you and follow him into a place where you would not go otherwise. I get peace so that in my next assignment where there is no peace, I have it. That's good. The fruit produces not just for comfort. But it is the state of being able to enter in your assignment. Gideon needed a supernatural portion of peace. After all, he was the weakest man leading a nation into a fight against the biggest oppressor they had ever faced. So Gideon builds this altar of peace as a testament to what he received. And the peace was needed to move forward with God's instructions. So now we see what God's instruction is. Look at verse 25. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. And then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on this hilltop sanctuary. Hmm. Laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar. Using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole, you cut down. There is so much packed into this that I'm about to unwrap. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of that town. I want you to notice what it says in verse 25. It says, that night, the same night as Gideon got peace and experienced a level of peace that would carry him into any assignment, that night, the Lord God commanded him right away. And when when Gideon responded to God, God guided him. And there's so many times we're seeking God in the guidance of where to go. God, what do you want me to do next? Where do you want me to go? How do I handle this situation? What is the plan? What is my destiny? What would you have me do? Is this everything I have? And God says, I will not give you the answer until you respond to me. Because I have been knocking, I've been speaking, I've been whispering, but you're living as if the people that I preach to living by parables, and every time I give you a word of truth, you turn your back on me, you do what you want to do, you live in a false identity, and where I'm taking you, you cannot handle without the fruit of my spirit. And if you're going to handle where I'm taking you, you better respond to me first so I can deposit a fruit out of the seed of response. God, here I am. Have your way. God says, I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to show you the where. But I can't do that until you respond to what I've been pulling at you with. That's what Gideon did. Gideon said, okay, God, you're God. And then the first fruit he had, peace. That night, God started giving him instruction. Why didn't God give him instruction in the first place? Why didn't he start off chapter 6 with, Gideon, I want you to take the second bull from your father's herd. And I want you to, the one that's seven years old. And I want you to, 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 to sacrifice it on the altar. Why didn't God start off with a plan? Because Gideon would have been way too fearful of what could happen. Notice at the end end of this little passage I just read in verse 27 says Gideon took 10 servants by night because he was scared that the people would would stop him and and kill him. But now he had a peace that conquered the fear. Y'all following? He had a peace that conquered the fear. And God said, I couldn't have told you this before because if I said go destroy an altar and tear it down, you would have given me every reason in the book as to why it wasn't the time, that you weren't good enough. You would have given me every reason as to why it was not a good idea. But now that you've responded to my pulling and I've given you a fruit of peace, Now the fear doesn't dictate where you go. The spirit dictates where Gideon went. That night. And so often we're seeking that where, but we have not responded to his voice. Psalm 37, 23 says this. The steps of a good man. Not the steps of any man. The steps of a good man. That word good simply means this. Seeking. Because good is not about, let me check the list off of every sin that I got right and that I didn't do. It's not about a checklist of, oh yeah, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not doing that anymore, I've got that commandment in the line. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not the definition of a good man. What is the definition, uh, definition of a good man? Someone that God has redeemed and they're walking in his way and seeking him. And the rest of the stuff, the checklist, it's not about checking off. It's about the list of do's and don'ts flows from a relationship. So he says the steps of a good man, a seeking man, are directed and established by the Lord when he delights in his way and he busies himself with every step. If you are seeking him, responding to the voice that draws you near, God says, then... Your steps are established, and I will busy myself with guiding you. God is the most best awesome manager there has ever been. And he is not going to manage your life and busy himself with steps with someone who has not responded to something so simple as forgive those that you have not forgiven. He is not going to tell you your next step if you can't do something as simple as blessing your enemy. He is not going to give you your next step if you can't do something as simple as, God, I want you to be my greatest relationship. He says, you start seeking me, and I'll busy myself with establishing your steps. Because you will be led by a goodness and a self-control and a peace and a kindness that you need to walk into this next assignment. We are in, we are coming into a time where God is going to call on the church to go into the roughest areas. And I have to do what God has told me to do and prepare you and myself to be a bride that says we will go wherever you want us to go. But we will not be the ones he calls if we are not busying ourselves with seeking him. Because if we don't busy ourselves with seeking him, he is not going to busy himself by establishing our steps to walk into the victory that this nation needs. And I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of house. I want to be the people that God says, these, are, these are, This is my bride right here. Let me do something with you. I, I, I was talking to someone at the uh, 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 wedding reception today, and they didn't mean anything mean by this. They didn't mean anything wrong by this, but uh, something really got in my spirit when they said this. <clears throat> they said, talk to your congregation tonight, and I, they're probably going to listen to the podcast, but uh, whoever, if you hear me, I love you. They were, they were saying, tell your congregation that Sean... What's his name? F- 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 Fouche Foe? The guy with the beautiful blonde hair? Foy? Sean Foy? He's doing these big revival worship rallies all over the U.S. Washington, California. He just came out of uh, um, Orlando and Miami. Um, he, he just went up to Atlanta. He's in Atlanta right now. Atlanta revoked his uh, permit to have the event, so they got a warehouse, anyways. Well, they said, hey, tell your congregation he's coming to Charleston Monday night. So just that's me telling y'all. And the person said, "I'm going to go because I know that God is looking down and counting, like and writing that down in the record book. Like, oh, I, I, she, this, she said, I want, I want to be in that number. I, I, I want, I want to be in that number that God says, oh yeah, you were there.' And I love that passion, but I say. Let's be the people who walk into what God wants for our own steps. It's not a bad thing to go to Charleston and worship and and, and declare God's blessings over the land. But why are we searching for a superstar when God says, I've got a people right here in Savannah, Georgia? Where are those people at? Because the superstar pastors have their doors closed up. The superstar pastors of Savannah are saying vote for a president who's who's pro-abortion. The superstar pastors are op- not opening their doors. You know why? It ain't because of COVID, because they got a comfy pocket. Oh, shoot. I just say that. They, I, I know pastors who don't have a comfy pop- pocket that are not opening their door. Why? You know what they always say? I don't want to get sued. And maybe I'm just stupid, but my response is try, because my God will defend me. There's a hedge of protection around me, and I will say it loud and clear, since we open up in June, we have not had one case of COVID in this house and we breathe on each other and spit on each other and share cups at restaurants and eat leftovers, and we, it's, it's just bad. <laughs> you know why? I believe we're becoming that people who actually depend on his strength. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to discredit people who are trying to keep safe. I'm not doing that at all. But where are the people who we don't have to go after the revival, we don't have to go after the superstar, we don't have to go after the next move, but we are the people who say, you know what? Instead of driving two hours to Charleston, let's drive five minutes down the road and get on our knees and start declaring. Oh, but that doesn't fit my schedule. I'm getting to the point where when I hear that, I'm, fine. I'm like, Fine. We'll leave you behind because I'm going there. I believe that there's going to be coming a day where God wants us to start getting together every single day of the week. I I really believe that. And I know that's hard for a lot of people in this room. I get get that. But, but, (laughs) Justin spoke over me earlier and said, I saw a crown of fire on you that you were going to have while preaching and I'm starting to feel it now. And I'm going to be so bold to say this. You're either going to be with us or you're going to get left. Because there's coming a day where we're going to get back to where Acts was when it says they met in their homes daily, not weekly. Because we're going to realize we have to be so desperate for him. If a people would just get desperate and stupid hungry, for God we would never have the need that we take off to try to acquire by our hand now I'm not saying quit your job so you can come here to pray I'm not saying that but what I, what I am saying is that there is a need for the saints to start gathering again not out of have to but out of want to out of desire and it's happening Wednesday night, equipment night. We got done at 8. But I didn't lock up till 9. Because everyone was just fellowshipping, rejoicing on what God did. God's moving. Are you catching it? Do y'all see it? There was... I, I'm getting off of my notes. There was someone who emailed. I shared this Wednesday night. Some of y'all weren't there, so I'm going to share it here. We got an email from a staff member at a very large church in Savannah saying, I'm on staff at this church. I love my church. But I'm walking in things that they don't believe, and I need someone to mentor us. And I've seen what, mentor me, and I've seen what your church is doing. Can I come and be raised up? That stuff has not happened in Savannah. There's a young man, Jesus. I don't know where he's at tonight, but he comes all the time. And he talks a lot. And I love Jesus because he is so passionate. But he's leading part of the ministry in his church in Hilton Head. And you know why he comes here? To get equipped to be able to run that ministry. Do you realize what God is bringing us into? I love the fact that I I called on George to do offering tonight like an hour ago, and he was like, absolutely. We are seeing a day where the men are taking lead again. I'm going to declare that. Because let's just be honest, the church has always become, we can get the women to do it while the men sit on their fat behinds in their chairs and glean off of what everyone else is doing. I'm tired of that day. This ain't going to be that house. you All all right, let me get on my notes. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit is a preparation. And God tells Gideon to do all of this stuff. And he says the steps of a good man are ordered. So when Gideon responds, God gives him the direction. He says, I want you to get the second bull. Anybody remember how old the bull was? Dang, y'all good. Seven years old from your father's herd. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole. Build an altar altar to God. Lay the stones out carefully. Sacrifice the bull and use the Asherah pole fuel for the fire. So Gideon gets ten men and he does it. But he does it by night because he did not want to get stopped. They were doing and taking all of this command and they were carrying out the assignment in a secret place. Because some things, not every mission of God is meant to be made a spectacle. Not every mission of God is meant to be done where everyone can see it. But what the church has done is we try to formulize everything and make it a spectacle. We try to put everything into a recipe and say, look what God's doing. Let's take it everywhere. Some things are definitely for that, but not all of them. God says, Gideon, I want you to go do it. And Gideon is following the leading of the Spirit, and God obviously directs him, do it at night where no one's looking. And I find it interesting in doing all this that God said, I want you to get the bull that's seven years old. How long were they under oppression? Seven years. Seven years. God says, I want you to get the second bull, the seven-year-old bull, and lay it on an altar. Why? The offering on the new altar for God was an offering indicating we are no longer slaves to oppression. We are being reborn as an offering of the we we are the children of God. We're no longer being known as rebellion. We're no longer gonna be known as people who have gone against him. On this day, we sacrifice this offering. This offering of slavery and oppression and today we are going to be known as people who sacrifice ourselves and move in what God wants us to do and let everything we do be known as an altar of offering to God Almighty. I'm no longer going to be directed to what I've been a slave to. We're going to tear it down. You see, in Gideon's community, Baal was worshipped right alongside Yahweh. Yahweh being Father God. So essentially what God is saying, he's like, Gideon, you want to be free? Get my house in order. Because in my house, there are no other altars. I heard Damon Thompson say this last week that Jesus is actually a perfect picture of the wrath of the Father. Huh? Jesus is always lovey-dovey in the Bible. That's how we preach it in America. Think about what Jesus, when he went into the temples, what did he do? Flipping up tables. He said, no other altars in my temple. And I love you so much. What is the temple of God? We are the temple of God. God says, I love you so much that I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And in that dwelling, my sole purpose is to rip up and take out and turn over any altar you got. And until you get it out, you will not have any peace. You will not have any self-control. You will not have any goodness. You will not have any kindness. You will not have any gentleness. I will not allow you to experience the fruit that is me if you still have false altars up in your temple. So you want it, tear it down. You want order in your house, tear the altars down. In this community, the altar of Baal was right next alongside Yahweh. And the first thing God says, tear down the altars in my house. And notice I said altars. Because he doesn't just say tear down the altar of Baal. He says tear down the Asherah pole. What was the Asherah pole? And Asherah pole was basically a stylized tree. I'm sure if you go to any sort of natural market on River Street or any other anywhere, you can see stylized tree trunks and trees and branches, all that kind of stuff, and it just looks weird to me. But some of y'all may think it's pretty, like, that's fine, but it's not. So um, it was a stylized tree, and what it was, it was a tribute to a Canaanite goddess named Asherah. She was actually known as the mother of Baal. They actually recognized Asherah as a tree of life. Because they believed she gave life to about 70 other gods, including Baal. They even worshipped Asherah as what they called the father's wife. In other words, they were worshipping a false bride. And I believe many people in this world, including the church, we have these false trees of life that we depend on as our life source. And we have elevated that life source above us. And we're allowing us to, to, to be under this grace message where we're not operating as a bride because we worship a false bride. We, I believe a false life source of the church could be described as religion because the life source is as long as I do this and do that and come to church and get baptized and take communion and fast all these things that are good I'm going to make sure I do all these things so that I've got hell insurance. I'm going to make sure that I live this cookie cutter life but nothing inside of me actually wants to live that way you ever known those Christians who live a perfect life when you check it off but they have no peace cause the false life source is their do list These people are worshiping this tree of life called Asherah, this this false God who's giving life to all of these other gods. And we all have sources of life that are not God, and we give them credit for blessings. We give them credit for increase. Well, I made this money because what I did. I I, I have this peace because I'm in this company. We're giving credit to false sources of life. God says, my name is Jealous. I want all the glory. Why do you give credit to anything else? Why do you give credit to yourself? I have such a I have peace because of my loving family. You should not have peace because of your loving family. You should have peace out of a relationship with God that deposits into your family making them loving. But we're worshiping all these false life sources. I'm a good Christian because I went on a mission trip. False life source. Go because you're called, not because you want to feel better about being a complete jerk. <laughs> Is this too much? I'm going to go feed the hungry because of, I've had a pretty bad week of sinning. So, you know what that's called? Paying penance and worshiping a false life source. God says, I want all the altars down. Tear it down. Where does your joy come from? My career, false life source. Where does my peace come from? My relationship, false life source. We we give credit to everything but God. God's like... You got to tear those things down. Do I? Yeah. Just because it's coming up soon, and I, what I'm about to say, if you do opposite, I, I I still love you and we're still friends. Y'all got me. Y'all know what I'm about to talk about. I want to take my kids trick-or-treating so they'll be happy. False. Life source. It is a holiday worshiping demons, ghosts, goblins, and vampires, and you want your kids exposed to that? Don't complain when they have issues later on. Now, I know many people are going to go trick-or-treating on 31st. And I'm going to pray over you and God is not going to slap you in the face and say you're a bad person. But all I'm doing is giving you keys to unlocking a real life source or a false one. Don't judge the people drinking in bars when you're celebrating pagan demonic stuff. And I'm speaking into this because I've loved Halloween all my life. Anyone that knows me, I love watching scary movies and, and horror movies and demonic stuff. I, I love that stuff growing up. But you know what? God's like, Kyle, if you're going to take these people into a new dimension, you're going to have to give up some things that your flesh loves. And I'm going to fail at times. I'm not always going to get it right. But man, I'm striving for it. I don't want the false life sources anymore. I want everything to be God, 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 God. You see, these people, the Israelites, they forgot that. And that's why they got to this place of seven years of ungodly oppression. He says, cut down the altar, cut down the Asherah pole, cut down the false source of life. And when you cut it down, use that wood to fuel the fire. As Sherah was consumed with Baal in a fire, the altars were torn down and consumed by the all-consuming fire of God. They were torn down, and the glory, because there was no more altars, they tore down every other false source of life, every other altar, and in the absence of false altars, their absence and destruction fueled the fire of the all-consuming glory of God. And what the church does, fire, fire, well, it can only get fuel when you start to tear down the altars. He says, let me use the false sources of life To fuel my fire. Well, why would God use that to fuel his fire? Because he's getting all the glory. There is an absence of what took part of it. So I'm going to use it got glory. So now let me use it for my glory. It's going to fuel my all-consuming fire. Because now I'm the only one that gets credit. I'm the only one that gets honor. I'm the only one that gets worship. And when I'm the only one in your temple, my fire spreads. My fire is fueled. I would even say if you find yourself lacking fire, tear down an altar to fuel it back up. You ever hear Christians like, well, when I first got saved, I was so on fire. But now I just don't have the same fire. Well, you've got the fuel somewhere, I guarantee it. Start cutting down the pole, the false source of life. Start, start tearing out the altars that have taken the fire, that have taken the glory. I hope this is okay. <clears throat> Psalm 97, 2 through 3, clouds, both dark and mysterious, now surround him. His throne of glory rests upon a foundation of righteousness and justice. All around him burns a blazing glory fire consuming all of his foes. He wants his fire and his glory to consume us and spread. And if that's going to happen, we've got to tear down some altars. I believe America has become an altar. God says he died for all people, not just Americans. He says redeem and govern the earth, not just America. And when we're exalting our nation above the rest, is that really a servant humble attitude or is it a prideful scoff at the less thans? We have arguments about flags when we should have peace treaties with ministry. False sources of life. I'm proud to be an American. If people know that you're proud to be an American more the fruit of being a believer, you've got a false life source. I'm not saying don't fly a flag. I'm not saying don't be proud of your country. I'm not saying that. But don't let it become a false life source. Because if it becomes a false life source, if America starts to go under and becomes the not the greatest nation. What is that going to do to your sense of security? If you were one of the people in Africa or the Middle East getting saved and having, like, I, I was, we, we were talking with Tiffany last week where she said she met a couple from Saudi Arabia, or no, they're going to plant a ministry in Saudi Arabia. They're actually going to be here um, this Wednesday, actually. This Wednesday, this, this couple she met, they're going to come here just to share testimony if you want to come. You know what they're doing in Saudi Arabia? Right now, they're building a soundproof room underneath the ground so that they can worship. Where would you be at? Would you stop worshiping because you're no longer in the land of the free and the home of the brave? We get so they're going to take our rights. No, 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 no. They're they're going to take legal right. I don't care what law is passed. I'm worshiping my God. But I don't believe we can say that about the church at large, because we can all go to restaurants and shop at stores, but for some reason. Let's not gather together without fear. Early the next morning, Judges 6, verse 28, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned it was Gideon, the son of Joash. All they had to do was ask around. All they had to do was ask, who would have done this? You know why they figured out it was Gideon? Matthew seven twenty. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. You know why they knew it was Gideon? Because he had been been, being proved as a seeker and child of God long before he was called to tear down the altar. And when they saw that their God was torn down, you know what they did? We're going to go right to to where y'all are. Which one of y'all did it? Oh, Gideon. Yeah, that makes sense. They will identify you by your actions. So I'm gonna. When I I think we need to get to a place where we're really honest, and start to instead of saying, you know, like, do you believe in Jesus? We should be able to answer that question before we ask. Is this too challenging? Y'all are like more quiet than ever tonight. You will be identified by your actions. That messes me up. Because when I start looking at what I do and what you do and what we do, the first thing I'll I'll think is, well, I'm not qualified. But God says, no, 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 no. It's I have qualified you. I've redeemed you. I've set you apart. You cannot earn this. What this is saying is that they will know, not God, God knows your innermost being besides what you do. But he says, I will only be able to use those for my assignments where when people look, they can identify you by mine or as false life source. They will identify you by your actions. And when I start to think about that, I think, what does does Pooler see me as? Because it's weird because... You can ask anyone that has spent any amount of time with me. Everywhere I go, I'll see someone I know. Everywhere. Am I right? Everywhere I go, I see someone I know. It's like Dr. Susan here. (laughs) Everywhere I go, I see someone I know. And I'm not going to lie to you. When that happens, the first thing that goes to my head is, oh, God, what do they know me as? Do they know me as man of God? Do they know me as a heathen? Do they know me as a charity case? Because the enemy loves to attack identity. I, I, I just think we need to get to a point where we are growing as a family of God to where they will know who we are by what we do, bonded together. What are you known for? Are you known for excusing things not of God? Standing firm? Or are you known for tearing down false altars because you are too consumed in the love of that that is him? I know this is tough. And I know that a lot of you probably are thinking, well, I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what he says. But I'm not the one held accountable for your response. And I'm telling you because I love you. We've got to cut down false altars. Everywhere. If he's not getting the credit, it is a false altar. You shall have no other gods before me. Yet we have gods around us everywhere. You know. It's it's really easy to come into church and say we're going to be great givers and we're not going to give Pastor Kyle the credit and we're not going to give Relentless the credit and we're going to you know bless um, congregations without them knowing who the blessing is and we're going to we're going to do everything in the secret place, but Christmas comes around and let's give all glory to Saint Nick. to scratch a bald head (laughs) what do you stand for look at the next verse Judges 630 (laughs) they figured out it was Gideon bring out your son the men of the town demanded of Joash he must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole that is how deep they worship this false god you gotta die you wanna know why they worship Baal so much Baal was considered the god of weather. And they were agriculturalists. So what did they depend on for great prosperity? Weather. So instead of relying on God in the times and the seasons, relying on God to say if we give our all to God, he will make sure that we are blessed beyond belief, they create this false god and put all their faith into if we give this false source of life glory, we'll get good weather. And we do that today. Knock on wood, that's a false God. Well, it's just trivial. No, it really isn't. I I mean, if you really took an inventory about what we did, how many false altars do we have in our lives? We, 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 We put myth and luck put ourselves more into the hands of that than our father that's exactly what they were doing let us make sure we're doing this right just in case they were trying to save themselves from bad economic times with the false god not realizing that the false altar was actually causing the bad times and we make those false altars trying to save ourselves. We make a false altar because, you know, we don't want to be alone, so we build an altar in a bad relationship. We, we don't want to deal with oppression, so we build an altar in the form of a substance. And God says, at some point, you have got to tear that down. What do you depend on? So they're like, let's kill him. Because he took down what we depend on. Probably what some of you are thinking now, about me talking about holidays. So in Judges 6, look what happens in verse 31. Uh, Gideon's father, but Joash shouted to the mob and confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal's truly, if he truly is a god, let your god defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. This is how confident in this, this man is in his son. He's like, if Baal's so powerful, let Baal defend Baal. If your God's real and my son tore down that real God's altar, he will deal with my son. Man, something does not want me to get this message out. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself. Destroy the one who broke down his altar. For then on Gideon, from then on Gideon was called Jerub Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Joash says, if your God's great, let him defend himself. Let Baal pour out his judgment. And they named Gideon, let Baal defend himself. In other words, his name was Baal can't take him down. Because Baal wasn't real and there are so many times we defend our false altars because they have nothing to stand on upon themselves. Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but lead that to God's righteous justice. Scriptures say, if you don't take justice in your own hands, I will release the justice. God says, I'll take care of my own justice. I will avenge my name. And a false God has no ability to do that. And the false God, the false idol, will fall. So, why is it that the church has become scared of people that worship false gods that have no? Power and no ability to defend themselves. The church won't stand up to movements because we're, oh, they'll protest, they'll do this, they'll loot, they'll break windows, they'll break down the walls, they'll do all this, they'll destroy our cities. Why are we so timid to move forward with something that has no thing to defend it? But we claim our God is magnificent, our God's powerful, our God's almighty. But can we get a permit to worship outside? The church has become its own worst hypocrite. You don't need a permit to go protest and you won't even get locked up for it. But we won't get, go worship because we don't want to go to jail for proclaiming the name of Jesus freely in the streets. False God of security. Okay. I'm just throwing this out here because this is what we are going into a day where we have really got to get serious about if we call him mighty, how mighty is he? Judges 6.33. Soon after the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel, and they crossed the Jordan camping in the valley of Jezreel. They were so offended at the people tearing down their false god that the enemy nations allied and were ready to destroy the people of God. If this is not a picture of America, Funny, their response response to an altar being destroyed caused them to want to go to war because they were trying to defend a defenseless God. That's what we do. We defend habits because they can't prove themselves by anything but destructive. We defend our fleshly desires because it can't prove to be good fruit. We defend our opinions because it has no authority or proof to stand on its own declaration. And God says, I am so confident in my might and strength could you be so confident to simply turn the other cheek instead of defend why you got hit on the other one? When someone offends you, the first thing we want to do is make a case for why we're victims, and God's like, just turn the other cheek. I'm going to defend you, but do you believe that? Every argument is about, do you believe, is he defending you? Is he avenging you? Take it in your own hands, or leave it in his. I have learned the less I try to take care of myself when something comes against me, the more bondage breaks off of my life. You got bondage, you're a pastor. We all got bondage. We, we all got stuff that we're trying to lose its grip. Breakthrough is simply in letting go. Saying, God, you take it. And then letting him guide your steps right through it, carrying a fruit of peace and self-control and goodness that can sustain the darkest place. Isaiah 45, 5-6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other God. I've equipped you for battle though you don't even know me. Verse 6 says, the reason I equip you for battle is so that all the world from the east to the west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord. There is no other. God says, stand firm. I've given you everything you need for every battle for one purpose. So they know that the reason you won is because of me. And Gideon, following God with death threats. Verse 34, remember all the the enemies lining up to take the people out? It says, in the spirit of the Lord, clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. And the men of the clan of Abiaser came to him. It says, he blew a ram's horn and all the people responded. Verse 35, he also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. The enemy took all this time to form alliances and gather an army, and the enemy was ready to take them out, and all Gideon had to do was one thing, blow a horn. Messengers were sent, and we find out in the next chapter, 32,000 warriors showed up to fight. Because wherever God leads, he already knows what you need and he has a supply. And all he had to do, they spent all this time out al- making allies, making peace treaties, getting agreements, forming, all this. All Gideon had to do was blow a ram's horn. You may have heard a ram's horn referred to as something called a shofar. A ram's horn, is, is it was a natural hollow instrument. And it was a symbol that they blew. It's, that was declaring their strength in victory. When Gideon blew that ram's horn, the people of God, after crying out, after seven years of oppression, they heard one sound, victory. And they said, let's go. Luke chapter one speaks of this. In verse 68 through 69 it says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant of David. You know what the horn of salvation is? It is a sound of victory that is in Christ Jesus. (laughs) When we call on the name of the Lord, it is a sound of victory before Every struggle you walk into. And we try to take it in our hands while God says all you need to do is call on the horn of salvation. Call on my name. And I'll go with you. I will strengthen you. I will walk with you. I will equip you. Call on my name. And there's so much when we call on his name. Because we think calling on his name just means, oh, well, I'm going to have a strength and I'm just going to have a peace and I'm going to be ready to fight and I'm going to be ready to go into every battle. But there's more going on than you realize. Is it okay if I just keep going? There's more going on than you realize. You know what God showed me when I was preparing this message? We always talk about, when we talk about the enemy, the unseen. Rulers and principalities, the unseen agendas, the unseen strongholds. But do you realize what happens in the unseen on our part when you blow the horn? Because if I read my Bible correctly, a third of the angels fell. That means we've got more warrior angels and guardian angels on our side than demons that prowl around the earth. And you know what God says when we call them the Lord? I'm gonna teach you some angel stuff tonight. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies. In other words, we ain't supposed to be worshiping angels. I never told my angels. Sit in the place of honor at my right hand till I humble your enemies, making them a footstool on your feet. This passage is about God talking to his angels. This stuff was for my son, not for you. He was putting his angels into order. And look at what verse 14 says. Therefore, angels are only servants. Angels are only servants. Spirit sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. When we blow the ram's horn of the salvation of God and say in Jesus' name, it's not just strength deposited, but angels are sent to serve your need, fighting things that you can't perceive. You ever heard the term guardian angels? It's not just something that's comforting. I think we need to remember, when we call on the name of Jesus, you know what he does? The great apostle that is God, the one who is all in one. He's the apostle, the prophet, the preacher, the teacher, the evangelist. He is all the manifestations of the spirit. He is true. He is all in one. When he hears his name, you know what he does? Let me position my army. And I've got angels assigned specifically to you. So when you're walking forward, you are literally not alone. Not just with the three in one, but thousands of angels fighting at your side things that you will never see. That's how humble God is. He says, I'm sending warriors to fight fights that you're never even going to be able to praise me for. Talk about it. Can you imagine the the humility of God? How many battles that have been won that you didn't even know were right in front of you that you were about to walk into, but you were led by peace? On the other side of that, you've got this thing, and I I feel feel it strong tonight that y'all identify with this. There's this thing you know you're supposed to do, and for some reason you haven't been walking in it because of fear. Because of worry, because of anxiety. And God says, if you will let, if you will seek me, I'll give you a peace that will cause you to walk into something. And when you start to walk into something, my angels will be taking care of all this stuff as you walk. And you'll only fight the battles that I know you can handle. Like, there's so much more going on than what we know. And all he says is, can you just tear down the altars? And if that's not enough, look at Psalm 91, 9-13. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. Let me read that one again. If you make the Lord your refuge... And if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you and no COVID will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. I don't want to go to work today because you don't know my environment. Well, you don't know what you're surrounded with. And maybe you're not surrounded with them because you're not led by peace because you're not truly seeking the shelter of the Most High because you want the shelter of stay home and not go to work. And God says, if you sit in my shelter, I'm going to put angels around you as you go into the environment and fight stuff off that you can't see. So be humble and serve those who do you wrong so that my servant angels can fight off the thing controlling that person that you can't stand. Do you see how it works? They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. I want some of that. If you just dwell in him, You know why stupid stuff happens and stupid breakthroughs happen? Battles that are happening that you can't see because of angels sent around you because you have been proven as a fruit of, as a child of God. All because of seeking. Why are we trying so hard? Why are we exhausting ourselves? So Gideon blows the trumpet, and God sends those he needs. And the last few verses of this chapter, look at 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me this way. Now, when I read that, I was thinking, really? Y'all remember last week? Well, if you, God, you wait right here. I'm going to go make an offering. I'm going to bring you, and what did Gideon do? Cooked a lamb and or cooked a goat, made some bread, got a broth in a pot, bring it back to God. He set the offering on the rock. It says the fire consumed the offering and the angel of the Lord was gone. And Gideon realized, oh, I was just talking to God. And here he is. You know, if you're truly going to rescue Israel, as you promised, can you prove it to me? And so this is what he, he's testing God again. But it's not really a test. Let me show you what I mean. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground's dry, I'll know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. He wanted a, a, just a ridiculous, a, a ridiculous miracle. Let the blanket be wet and the ground be dry. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, wrung out a whole bowl full of water. God showed up like, yeah, I'll do that. So no problem. You know, I'm like, I'm God. Well, then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet would do. Because he wanted to prove this wasn't just happenstance. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. After all that God had done for Gideon, Gideon was still asking God, prove yourself, prove yourself, prove yourself. But it wasn't that he was testing God so much as something else. He wanted two or three confirmations. He wanted a witness that this was God speaking to him. Paul spoke of a law in Deuteronomy in, laid out in Deuteronomy but Paul spoke it in 2 Corinthians he says let facts be confirmed by two or three witnesses Jesus said this this is the scripture I'm going to close with John 8 17-18 your own law says that if two people agree about something their witness is accepted as fact I am one witness and my father who has sent me as the other Gideon needed the two or three witnesses so that he could have a level of faith deposited in him, a level of boldness, a level of strength, a level of peace. You know what the beautiful thing about us is? We've already got the two witnesses. He says, You've got me and you've got my father. And if that wasn't enough, I'm going to send you a helper. He was listening to his own law. And sometimes we know what we're supposed to do. We know what we've got to tear down. We know how tough it's going to look and how hurtful it's going to be to our flesh. And what we'll do is say, God, I need some confirmation. (laughs) And the Lord's like, I've already given you all the confirmation you need. But you won't believe me because you're not seeking me. I've given you eyes to see. I've given you ears to hear. When are you going to start using them? He says, tonight I believe God is saying, sons and daughters, you know what you've got to tear down. You want witness to that? He says, I am. I have shown you who I am in the flesh. I've shown you what I've come to do by my Father's will. I've laid out very clearly that I want you to walk into a kingdom lifestyle where you don't get a vote, but you sacrifice your will and you give your life up as as an altar, a living sacrifice, just like I did. So let that witness be enough and go tear it down. As we leave here tonight, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you wanna call it commission, I don't know what you wanna call it, but I'm just gonna say it like this We've got some work to do. And it starts by going home tonight, whether you're by yourself or with your spouse or with your kids, and say, You know what, y'all, we've got a clean house. And I know that people are gonna call you stupid and weird and people are going to think you're, you're 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 spooky and that you're too much. But God says, you know what? You're supposed to be aliens or strangers to this world. So let's get strange. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's stand.